Hello, and welcome to Late to the Party, episode 12. This is the Geeks Unleashed Monthly Book Club, where in addition to our weekly podcast, we talk our way through what are considered some of the most essential graphic novels of all time. This month's graphic novel, we're taking a look at Fables, Volumes 1 and 2, uh, which (laughs) Fables is huge. So this is basically we're covering like the first 10 issues here. So it's a nice little nugget introduction into the world of Fables. Uh, As usual, I'm Mark, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jasmine. Hello. Hello. And we also are very privileged to be joined by Jennifer from Comics Will Break Your Heart from YouTube. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited to talk Fables because it's something that I read when I was getting into comics um, when, back in high school. And I don't think that I've read it since. So it was really nice reading it again. Oh, no, I, I loved rereading it. I was going to say, before we jump into Fables, though, do you want to just tell those people listening about, about your own YouTube channel? Yeah. So the YouTube channel that I have, Comics Will Break Your Heart, um, we I do a weekly show with my friend Mars on typically on Sunday mornings. And we talk about um, all the books that we read, maybe like, you know, the current books that are coming out week to week, as well as some of the other books that we're reading right now. I have just bullied her into picking up House of X, Powers of X. And so hopefully we'll be reading and talking about that soon. Um, this next upcoming week is actually our like one year anniversary of doing the show. So really excited to be doing that. She's definitely the better half of, of the show. <laughs> She's the best co-host. <laughs> well, congrats Wait. on making it a year. Yeah, thank you. Did you launch that out, out of the sort of back of COVID? Was it kind of COVID related that you started doing it? Yeah, I actually started the, the YouTube channel as a whole. Um, in may of 2020 but then her and i started doing a show in november of 2020 i had done a couple of other videos and things like that but then it really became a weekly show when her and i were talking i had done a couple of other like weekly and monthly shows with other people but then this was like her and i's on my channel so that's what we've been doing for for the last year oh amazing like, um, it's good to see like the good positive things coming out of COVID and yeah. just like you said you said it a little bit before but obviously the partnership between the two of you so congrats on the one year Thank uh, you. it's amazing too so uh, let's move on to Fables Jasmine all right jumping right in so volume one is called Legends in Exile and volume two is called Animal Farm the writer of Fables is Bill Willingham pencils are by Lam Medina colors by Steve Lea Lealoha uh it is published by dc well vertigo uh no longer uh so dc (laughs) basically uh has taken back the reins but it was originally published in single issue format starting in july of 2002 150 issues later um it kind of ended in 2015 but supposedly we're gonna have a return to fables in 2022 may of 2022 they're kicking off again with issue 151 so it's it's one of those comics that has been hugely successful. Um, it's won several Eisner's, uh, Hugo nominations. Basically, it is like every fairy tale you've ever heard of. But what if these fairy tales had escaped into our world and are now living among us uh, is basically the premise of fables so the main comic had several spinoffs we had jack of fables uh we had, even had a batman versus bigby bigby is uh, the big bad wolf uh for you know from regular fairy tale readers um there was even the telltale game the wolf among us which is a really really great game so sad that telltale games is no more because i would really like a sequel to that game um but basically, it is anyone who has ever watched Once Upon a Time on ABC at some point, it's very similar to that concept where fairy tales are in the real world, but they still have some of their fairy tale uh, abilities. So it's, it's really interesting. And a lot of reading through these first two volumes definitely felt like a nice introduction to, I don't know, like characters you're super familiar with, like living in the real world. Uh, I kind of love the hierarchy really the the way that everything breaks out the way that they kind of form their own government they've got their own council but they still got 
magic, like in, you know, some of the houses and apartments that they live in because they're based in Manhattan. It's almost like the Harry Potter magic where it's tiny little apartment where when you walk in, it's like this huge, expansive castle type space. Uh, So it's just a really like fantastical but modern kind of read. So that's kind of what I get from Fables. So we're covering the first 10 issues, volumes one and two. And as Jasmine said, this is really just, I don't know, it's like first chapter or second, first or second chapter of this humongous story of Fables, 150 issues, variety of spin-offs. Um, me and myself, I've actually only read the first 80 issues. and uh, it's But listen how my... you said that, the first 80. I've only uh, read the first only. 80. Yeah, yeah I, I know, I know. I, I always feel bad about it because they sit in this long box, like, calling at me. <laughs> like, and, um, although there's many issues that call at me to still be read. <laughs> like, um, but it's only because I've had them for so long and I... Um, I feel bad that I didn't finish. Um, anyway, but it was brilliant to go back. But anyway, sort of to summarise the, the sort of plot of one and two, we sort of go in and jump into it. Volume one is issues one to five, covers the possible murder of Rose Red, who is the sister of Snow White. Uh, this story, but it uses that story to introduce us to the fairy tale characters um, who have escaped from in speech marks, the homelands uh, to live in uh, the mundane world, or as we get to hear them be called constantly like the Mondays and uh and obviously they're living in New York and they form their own community of Fable Town. Um in the second uh volume we move to what they call is the farm which is upstate and we follow Snow White and Rose Red to the farm and get to see the more animal type fables which you're familiar with uh including characters which I love seeing the jungle book and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and the the story has just like George Orwell written all over it, which I, just, you know, I, I'd forgotten about it until I got into it. Um, so, uh, anyway, done enough talking. Uh, <laughs> like to hear from, I'd like to hear from Jennifer though. Like in terms of the first two volumes, did you did you enjoy did you enjoy reading the first ten issues and sort of what was your sort of uh, reading experience? Yeah, like I had said, um, the um, fables I had read when I was in high school, and I think it was only maybe like the first four or five volumes so trailing trailing you a little bit on those 80 issues so what would that maybe be like the first like maybe uh um 30 or so issues Mm -hmm. and it's been a minute since I've been back to it and it was um everything that you guys had said where it's these classic characters that you have seen before but then with a more modernized twist and not only are these characters they have all of the baggage that comes with this story and like this mythos behind them but just from their drama from their day-to-day life Um, (laughs) and there's so much about these characters that like you know we step in and we we think we know who um the big bad wolf or we think that we know who Mm -hmm. like snow white is going to be um but then just going back and seeing how familiar these characters feel and um, really, really appreciated getting another read on this. Brilliant. What about you, Jasmine? Um, I think I read the first volume maybe five or six years ago. Uh, but so it was fun to, to take another look at it. Uh, and honestly, I, I got to the point where I was like looking up characters because I didn't recognize everyone. Uh, one of the, like, and I remember the first time I read this, I had no idea who Rose Red was. And I even looked it up and like, she's an actual character that the Brothers Grimm created to be Snow White's sister. And I was like, okay, but if you have never read Brothers Grimm, like I, never, never in all of the fairy tales or any of the other movies or books that I've read about these characters, like Rose Red never came up. So that was kind of, uh, a fun take on it just because like you're not familiar with that character in general like if you, even if you're familiar with the other stuff so the whole time through reading through the first volume it was kind of like hmm, is she dead is she uh, did, did did she just run away like what's going on um but uh, kind of like jennifer said i love the drama <laughs> just especially <laughs> in the first volume like the crap that they get up to the the fact that Prince Charming is a total douchebag, like it's <laughs> yeah. it's just so much fun to read uh, and and see like the different kinds of personalities that these characters might actually have. Um, it's almost like the ultimate in fan fiction, right? Like you you have the characters as they were originally intended, and then you have this totally new take on them. Like 
yeah, well, what if Snow White took place in, you know, New York City in the two, early 2000s? Um, but there were so, so many things that I really enjoyed. Uh, and just like random little tidbits that cracked me up. Like you would see Colin, who is the pig, who keeps escaping from the farm. But like he'll just randomly be in panels sleeping. Like you catch him sleeping in a park, he's sleeping in like someone's front yard. It's just, it's hilarious. Cause it's like, does no one else notice this giant freaking pig walking around New York city? Um, and then there was a, a line in the first volume with Pinocchio where Pinocchio has been turned into a real boy, but you know, he's still in a child's body. He's like three or 400 years old. And he's like, I want to find that fairy godmother and that, that bitch, she messed up everything, and I never even hit puberty yet, and I really just want to get laid, and it was so funny. Um, so I just got such a kick out of reading the first volume. The second volume was a little bit heavier, and honestly, the second volume kind of reminded me of Why the Last Man, um, with like the the way you've got this faction within a, a separated faction, and Goldilocks is basically like this crazy revolutionary type character. Um, but it was just, it was so fun. It was so fun to read about these characters doing sort of what I would call like modern things. Yeah. I um, I think I, I didn't read it when it first came out, probably say like a year or so afterwards, because I think I went mm. back and got the first 12 or 15 issues and I carried on going and um, like Jennifer, I've got, I had to get these first 10 out and it was nice to sit down and reread them because it's been so long since I've read them. Um, it having read these first 10 though i'm like oh, i read them like today just because i wanted to keep it fresh in my mind but now i'm like oh, i want to carry on going so <laughs> uh, i don't know if i could ever achieve getting to 150 so like i can imagine burning it out but uh i thought it maybe it's something i do like on a sunday pick up five issues and, and read them but um one of the things that really struck me though when i was reading them so obviously i reread this and i've obviously got some slight knowledge of things that are coming up and I have to say, I love, like, what we talked about, obviously, the modernization of these characters. We'll talk about that in more detail in a bit. But one of the things I actually loved about what, because um, you said it a minute ago, Jasmine, about you didn't know about Rose Red. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that really struck me while I was reading these 10 issues was actually Bill Willingham's attention to detail and his planning. Um, and I, I just, I loved all of that because I could see tiny little things that are, at the moment, not important that he's put in there. And they might come in in like issue 70 and stuff like that. So I, I, I was like, when I was reading this, I was like, oh, I'd love to sit down with him and just know how far he planned. Like that's kind of just as someone who's read a bit further that's kind of hit me. But in terms of overall, I, I love, the, love these stories. And what I used to do was whenever I used to meet someone who was interested in comics and would tend to gravitate towards, you know, the Spider-Mans and Batmans and stuff like that, I would always try and, also pushing down like the indie road and I, i've said this before with why the last man why the last man and fables were the two i'd always recommend because they were just so easy i felt to get into for like a non-comic book reader if they didn't have the knowledge and i know fables does grow into quite a massive world but i think definitely the first few volumes are very easy to get into and i think most people won't probably go all the way to the end if you're a casual reader but i think the first two volumes are quite separate and don't you don't have to worry too much about later on so i would i would still quite happily recommend these two two books to um maybe casual readers so um, yeah yeah um, you know to, to your point it's it's funny that you mentioned like um suggesting something like this instead of um maybe like superman or spider-man or like one of those like mainstream superheroes i feel like i do the same thing with indies because you don't have to read 40 50 mm -hmm. years of like history of these other characters to get into and i think that's why fables does this so well is because it's characters that you already know with the exception of like rose red or i don't remember like little boy blue like i know that little boy blue something something shoe like i know that there's like a nursery rhyme but i don't really remember um but it's characters that people should already be familiar with but don't necessarily need to read <laughs> several centuries of yeah uh, brothers grim <laughs> to to get into for sure mm -hmm. yeah the cost of entry is really low for something like this yeah. so it makes it that much more intriguing because like and especially with even if you're not familiar with like brothers grim stuff like 
Jungle Book characters. Let me tell you how terrified of Shere Khan I was when I was a kid. <laughs> like, so to see those characters even come into play, you got Goldilocks and Three Bears. Everybody knows Goldilocks. You've got yeah. Br'er, Br'er Rabbit. I mean, I mean, there's so many different like areas of characters that come into play here that it it's almost like a gigantic Easter egg hunt because it's there's literally something for everyone in these stories. Yeah, I think probably could segue there Jasmine into actually talking about the characters I think this book why I think it easily works well for people as a gateway into comics is that you're familiar with so many of these characters like without people probably wouldn't necessarily assume that there's if you don't know that much about comics you wouldn't necessarily assume there's a book out there about fables that have been modernized mm -hmm. but if you obviously became aware of it through recommendations or whatever however you found this book it's a very easy thing to get into because everybody knows the Big Bad Wolf and Snow White and Cinderella and Prince Charming, uh, you know, and Goldilocks. These are characters that we've heard about, you know, from from five or six years old. Like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we grew up hearing about fairy tales and we may have seen, you know, Disney adaptions and the latest Jungle Book adaption, whatever it is. You know, we've all seen these many things. And I think it's very clever, like how you know, Bill has managed to sew them all together into this world and, mm -hmm. and sit there and take unique uh, tweaks to these characters. And I, I one of my favourite tweaks was the Prince Charming tweak, to be honest. <laughs> like I, it was a very clever, very clever, but obviously, obviously not very modern uh, <laughs> uh, take on, on, especially, I guess, in this current climate, you know, 2002, maybe could get away with that a little bit more. But um, anyway, so I just sort of wondered going around the room just for our takes on how he's modernized these characters. So actually, Jennifer, what's, what's your thought on the modernization of these characters? Yeah, um, I think the character that I appreciated the modernization of the most um, in, in these first two volumes, I mean, there were a lot of them, but I really appreciated Snow White and how I felt like um, they gave Snow White so much more literal agency. Like mm -hmm. she is a boss, like she's, kind of running the show um and i really appreciated that they did that and they even like make mention in the first in the first issue um there is a couple that's coming up and uh they want to get divorced <laughs> and then uh something happens in the the issue of the seven dwarves show come up <laughs> and Boy blue pulls them aside and it's like never ever mention the seven dwarfs ever yeah um, so i thought <laughs> Like things like that were were really interesting, and um, like I said, they really make her I think the pivotal character of this book, um, and give her like you know she got divorced from Prince Charming because her sisters. I mean I don't know how much I'm spoiling, so I'm sorry, um, but her sister um, you know slept with her husband, and so they got divorced a while back, and so there's just all of these little um nods to it and um i know easter eggs was mentioned earlier one of my favorite easter eggs was that in um volume two so in animal farm you see um the mother old mother who lived in a shoe yes and in on the wall there's like a little like embroidery thing that says shoe sweet shoe instead of home sweet home and <laughs> just little things like that i thought were absolutely incredible and gave it like not just um the characters modernization of the characters but modern humor and um just it really had a lot of fun and even though especially animal farm dealt with a lot of um different kind of heavy subjects maybe like colonization or mm -hmm. um the way that people are ma marginalized um i think that it, it i don't know whether that was uh, uh william's intention or not um but it does talk about a lot of those subjects but does it in a way that um can be humorous and where we can really um relate to the character mm -hmm. yeah i read that as well about especially like in volume two about like revolutionaries and stuff like that you know and rose red being red and like you know that kind of thing and you know the fact that she instantly has the red uh sort of bandana around her head and instantly took to um leading a revolution and stuff like that so i think there's there's definitely stuff in there which i think he's probably played on sort of American history there, I think, put, put, putting that into volume two. Um, yeah, in terms of my, my thoughts on modernizations uh, of characters, I, I love the take on, I did say earlier, the Prince Charming take. Um, Big B Wolf, though, I thought was great. I love the, like, to be honest, 
the Big Bad Wolf, I think it's probably got to be, for me, one of the most favourite, my, sorry, famous uh, fable-type characters. Like, you know, the Big Bad Wolf is always, for me, I think a go-to character in, in sort of folk folklore. And the fact that they've put, turned it on his head and turned the bad, Big Bad Wolf into, like, the good guy mm-hmm. and made him a detective as well, like a detective of Fable Town, um, I just thought that was just a, a great spin on things and um so that, that was one of my sort of favorite modernizations of the character um but i just loved all the tweaks and and sort of um even even um like the animal the animal takes as well like you know mm-hmm. how the fact that they were thinking ahead with uh creating weaponry for non uh basically human fables like so to create like guns on their heads and stuff like that i thought that was a pretty cool take as well so um what about you, Jasmine? What are your thoughts on sort of the modernizations? Um, I I did love how it kind of subverted a lot of things, like uh, how we've got Bluebeard, and he's just mm-hmm. sort of like this guy that they expect to do bad things, but he's kind of just like this douchey rich guy. Um, yeah. I kind of, uh, again, like you said, what they did with Charming, how he's really a schmuck. Uh, I thought that was hilarious. Um and and other characters like the way that they kind of have Belle and the Beast, uh, like the way that they're sort of this married couple that argues all the time. Um, just in general, the the way that everybody kind of interacts together, how the hierarchy that they've created in the books is nothing like the hierarchy that you would remember from any of the stories themselves. So that's sort of how it takes on its own unique feel. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'd have to say Big B. Uh, I love the take on him. Like, and I love that even in the first in the first volume, at one point he gets really, really flustered and he does turn into a wolf. Um, so it's it's all and like by the time you get to the second volume, they're like, Oh yeah, we know you got your sheriff down there in Fable Town, but uh, you know he is not allowed up at the farm. Like he's not forgiven for what he did to the three little pigs up here, so he can't come up here. Um so I, I just I, I love how they throw those things in there, like the things that you would recognize from the stories, uh, the the kind of modern twist in the way that they did the beast transformation with Beauty and the Beast and how he only transforms to a beast when Belle is upset with him. <laughs> and so like if she's in a good mood and she's happy with him, then he could be like the prince version. And if she's upset with him, then he's the beast version. Um, so it, there's so many little things that just, make this so enjoyable and it doesn't feel like you're reading retellings of those old stories that we're all familiar with it all feels brand new yeah i was gonna say of all the characters we've read is any of them sort of like a favorite or like a one you feel has got like sort of great potential jennifer do you want to do you want to kick this off yeah um i once again i definitely think that snow white was probably the most surprising for me um Mm. i do think that i liked the way that they turned prince charming um you know jasmine to use your words into (laughs) into a schmuck like he's just this um he's definitely a um he takes advantage of everyone around him like it's not Mm. even just that like he's charming and that like he does nice things or that he he acts a certain way to get what he wants like he he takes advantage of everyone mm-hmm. that's around him like he meets someone and he says uh, like the waitress and he's oh like, my I god take- that whole thing but, yeah mm. and he's like oh well you know i did want to take you back to like my place or go back to your place whatever it may be but you know i forgot my wallet um so i was just gonna dine and dash and so he just like schmoozes his way out of a situation and takes advantage of them and especially seeing his history Mm -hmm. um with the other characters in fable town you know that he has just burned every last bridge (laughs) had there and so he has to go to the the mondays so i i appreciate that um that twist where it's like you know you think prince charming is supposed to be this great guy like and i think a lot of game of thrones i I was thinking about that a lot while reading this and thinking about jamie lannister and how um even though jamie lannister you know is supposed to be um part of the night's guard and um you know just be the protector of the realm and protector of the king and do all these great things but he's just 
kind of a piece of shit. Granted, he does have his like redeeming character arc. Um, but in this book, Prince Charming, definitely not a good guy. Um, so I thought that was surprising. But the character that I really, really like, I don't want to say like necessarily identified with, but I really appreciated, like I said, Snow White. They gave the character so much more agency um, than say just, um, I don't know, eating an apple and um, you know, with the seven dwarves, I think that they really made her into a really strong character, which I appreciated a lot. Uh, yeah, brilliant. I, I, I do, I have to say the whole Prince Charming thing, I do agree with all of you. I think it was a really great take. I love the fact that they put all the Prince Charmings into one, like from every fable story, he was the guy, <laughs> he was the, you know, he was essentially married to all these different princesses. Like, and I thought that was such a great idea to do that. So, and like, you know, you said about the smoothing in the in the restaurant when he was like, I was going to, um, you know, pay, run out the door without paying. Um, I love that later on, he's still taking, taking advantage, like right yeah. now. <laughs> Writes her a note, like, I helped myself to some money because I knew you wouldn't mind. Um, and whilst I'm out, can you wash my clothes and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And I was like, how does it, like, I'm sure there are people out there like this in the real world. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and, um, and I was just like, how, how, how do you just go about your world or your life just, like, just treating people like crap? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, maybe it's just he's been so used to getting what he wants. He just, it doesn't occur to him but how he is so um what about you jasmine um i think bigby is my favorite character um just because like it's a it's a big transition for me there was one particular version of the three little pigs that i had when i was a kid where the wolf was so terrifying that anytime my mom tried to read the book to me i would like freak out and start crying so the big bad wolf has always been like this (laughs) like you know like when you're a kid you have these things that are just so terrifying and then you kind of revisit them later and you're like oh that really wasn't that bad but so big bad wolf has always been like this really kind of terrifying scary character in my head Uh, so getting to read big b as like this downtrodden detective that's like i got another eternity ahead of me like i don't really care i'm gonna chain smoke i'm gonna be mean to people but you know i'm still gonna get the job done um Plus, like the the detective shtick, I guess you could say, is is all is kind of one of my favorite like tropes or genres. I, I just love detective stories. So uh, Big B and and watching him kind of let everything play out in the first volume, especially, uh, I just really enjoyed his character. With, with Big B, I, I initially was a bit like, is this like Columbo? Like, is yeah. it just a bumbling idiot? Like, because <laughs> yeah. initially I was going down that road with is he a bumbling idiot because. Snow White makes a reference about how he was taking the same approach to literally everybody, like pretty much accusing them of being the murderer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, is this just deliberate, like bumbling fool, or am I just missing <laughs> something? Like, yeah. Um, you know, he reminds uh, me of, uh, well, I guess it's the other way around, but Benoit Blanc from Knives Out. Like the whole, oh, the whole first, oh. what? Oh, you got to watch Knives Out. Oh. The whole first volume <laughs> kind of reminded me a lot of the way that the story develops and plays out in Knives Out. It's on my list. <laughs> so many things to watch and read like, and listen to. Like, since I work from home, I rarely get to listen to anything now. It's just, <laughs> just, just, it's just read and watch now. Go from there to here, like you know, in my house. I mean, up the stairs, um, down the stairs. That's about it. Basically, yeah. 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 <laughs> so I was like, and the drives I do are very t- like ten minute long now, rather than the sometimes hour a day I used to do. So mm-hmm. anyway, but Bigby Wolf though, I actually have to say, I really loved when he not just revealed like the murder type thing, how he went through the murder scene and he was breaking down every little bit. And I, it was the thing about the CDs, like I thought was pretty, pretty good. Like how she left all the ones she cared about at the front. Uh, and I was like, oh, I didn't notice that. So I did pick up on the lock on the fridge. Mm-hmm. And um, but I didn't, I, there was a lot of things that he threw around um, and like, you know, even things like Jack wasn't covered in blood and stuff like that, you know, uh, and was clearly out of breath. And he was like, oh, Jack was massively overplaying it. Uh, so I thought, oh, OK, he wasn't the bumbling idiot that he was kind of trying to portray he was. But um, but also I love the fact that he was like, look, every detective pretty much has a you know boring job. So when every, every opportunity comes to have that whole 
you know, big, big scene. Like, he's like, of course I'm going to take it. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> uh, I, thought, I thought that was good too. I was like, yeah, why not? I suppose, you know, what? if you don't get a murderer like every t- 10 or 15 years or however long it is, because um, in their community, all he does is police the community. Like, I think, you know, why not, why not, why not have a big uh, grand finale? Yeah, his big you know, parlor like, scene, as you yeah, can call it. Big mm-hmm. scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I I do have to say I really do love Big B, um, but the character I thought came into her own uh, was actually Rose Red in the second volume, um, and I like the fact that she um, is going to become essentially take over from Wayland at the farm. So for a character that like you, um, I don't know about you, Jennifer, but for me, I didn't really know much about Rose Red, so I love to see her growth, like from obviously <laughs> being a bit of a sneaky you know, and associating with Jack at the beginning and then trying to see in the second volume her starting to look after her sister, um, which obviously she hasn't really done over the years, and, you know, deliberately going behind enemy lines, joining the revolution with the with the plan of trying to save her sister and at the end turning around and saying, well, look, I actually now want to run the farm so me and you sisters can be on a level playing field. Um, so I thought that, that that was actually nice to see her growth over those 10 issues. And I actually think her character's got a lot of potential going forward. So that was something I, I really liked reading. So Yeah, I agree. I agree with that with, with Rose Red, especially when I think that, you know, in, in volume one, um, there's the moment where um, Big, Big B like reveals everything right and it's like Mm -hmm. this is how i knew at each moment like these were all the clues and kind of pieced it together there's almost that moment for for red um where she's like well i knew that when we got to the farm i knew that they were going to kill us so here's what i did and like i snuck around and like even though it looks like i was against you for a moment the entire time when i was against when talking to her sister like Mm -hmm. um I was actually for you. Like everything that I did was for you and for us. And um, like you said, now I want to be your equivalent or, you know, um, uh, take over this responsibility here. And I felt like it was very much a moment of Rose Red was saying like to uh, Snow White, you inspired me. Like I'm doing this because I see how well you're doing. Like that's what it felt mm. like to me. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I really did like seeing that relationship. Um uh, sort of, you know, they kind of were addressing the problems of their relationship in the, I think it was issue six. And it was, and even just the point of like when they were flashing back to them as children mm-hmm. and, you know, they're having to share a bed as adults, like not just adults, they're like over 300 years. Well, they must be more than 300 years old, but like, you know, over 300 years, I think they've been living in the mundane world or something 300 years. So I can't imagine how old they are supposed to be. Um, so I just, I thought that was quite like nice to see mm-hmm. that development over those 10 issues. So I, I just thought it was pretty cool with Rose Red. <laughs> so that, that was my, my sort of thoughts on it. But um, let's get into the sort of structure and writing of these books. But my first question to both of you is, because um, I obviously read this when it came out and I like, you know, I think I read it, like I say, about a year after it came out in 2003. And I think it's pretty cool that this came out in 2002 and next year, 20 years later, um, Bill's bringing back issue 151. Um, I won't be able to read that easily, but um, I just wondered if you guys thought this holds up over 20 years. Like, you know, do you, do you think it's actually still still a good... Um, I think some... What I mean by that is sometimes things that are written a long time ago, as we know, like Dr. Seuss, isn't always... Uh, as easily appropriate appropriate <laughs> yeah, I, was forward, trying, yes. I, I was trying to find a word yeah as easily as appropriate there's nothing like that i think in his in this writing but i just wonder what you guys thought about does it hold up over 20 years um jennifer what do you think yeah certainly especially having read it about 15 just over 15 years ago um i definitely think that reading it then and then reading it now I still got a lot of enjoyment out of it as someone who like me personally I feel like I'm very critical of those things that even if it was a a joke that was told 10 years ago I'm definitely going to be one of those people that's like let's leave that joke 10 years ago and not now Um, I'm definitely going to be the first person to do that Um, so going back and reading this 
I definitely think that not only does the story hold up, and I think a lot of that has to do with because of these timeless characters, these timeless tales that are being told, but I think that it's incredibly smart. It is still incredibly original using these types of characters um, and seriously, just so enjoyable. And I feel like out of, out of all of the Vertigo titles that I personally remember reading, um, for some reason, this one ended up being usually on like the bottom of the list that I would recommend to people. Normally, I find myself um, recommending things like Sandman, because it's my favorite. Also, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, as well as Watchmen, and um, even Why the Last Man. So there's so many of those Vertigo titles that I recommend to people. And I feel like I don't recommend this one enough. Do you think you'll change now? Yeah, now that I've oh. now that I've gone back and reread it, I I for sure think so. Um I when I actually read these copies, um funny story, when I actually read these copies originally when I was in high school, I borrowed them from my high school photography teacher um who had a whole bunch of books like this behind him and I picked these books up at a used bookstore and I didn't realized because I hadn't opened it really until now but apparently this copy of the um, of Animal Farm that I have is signed to someone named Michael um, oh. so Michael <laughs> must have gotten this um, signed by Bill Willingham so um, Michael if you're watching if you'd like your book back let me know I'll, gladly, <laughs> I'll send this one back to you and I'll buy I'll oh. buy a fresh new copy so you can get your sign because I open it and I'm like to Michael what so Michael here you go Look at that. <laughs> oh, oh do, you know, do you know, that's why when you get yourself signed, just get them, the author or illustrator, to just sign their name, not, not, not yeah. to you individually. Like, yeah. I bet, I bet you know, like, if he's listening right now or watching right now, he's like, Mum, like, <laughs> You got rid of my books. Yeah. Well, I found them. You said you didn't get rid of them. Like, hey, uh, you never underestimate the power of the internet. You, We might yeah. just find Michael. You know, yeah. that's we'll what, keep an eye that's out. What that's what happened to my parents' comics. Uh, my mom and my dad both collected Superman, Lois Lane, Batman, all from like the 50s, 60s, whatever. And both their mums threw them out. Like, honestly, Aww. I could be living in an 18-bedroom house now if they hadn't <laughs> yeah. done that. So, like, so um, Anyway, what about you, Jasmine? Do you think it holds up after 20 years? Oh, yeah, definitely. And especially the Animal Farm part. I mean, that mm. could have been written yesterday. Like, it, it is so prevalent right now. Um, I think the the first volume where we're just sort of getting introduced to the human fables, um, that one is is timeless. Like Jennifer said, the characters are timeless, but you know, detective stories in themselves are timeless. So that one would be good anywhere. But I think it's it's funny to me though. I think how how prevalent the Animal Farm part uh, in volume two is still like, yep, that definitely that that totally works in 2021 <laughs> <laughs> um i felt to be honest with you like i didn't really there's only one thing that really got me was um reynard the fox and his use of language towards snow white i was like i'm not sure if that's overly appropriate now but uh, other than that um although there are male idiots out there that do speak like that but I just don't know anyone like that in the real world. And I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> imagine be being comfortable sitting there with a man just telling a woman you're a hot babe and thinking that's <laughs> okay for someone who has very little relationship with them. Listen, like, man, so, he's a sly fox uh, and he was shooting his shot, okay? So yeah. I can I can see how that would apply. <laughs> I suppose, though, in some ways, like there are sly foxes out there in 2021. Um, I forgot the year for a second. Um, like... <laughs> Uh, like that probably will try that stuff so maybe maybe it does hold up but i just don't know anyone like that in the real world to yeah. appreciate hearing that so, <laughs> um maybe i need to get out more and meet some real life sly foxes for <laughs> for, for knowledge building not sure for, uh, sure any, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. not for anything else like, yeah my, what, i'm sure my wife wouldn't like me to hang around with real <laughs> sly foxes so anyway um I was going to say, I think the in terms of the writing and the structure, why why I sort of thought it was a good idea to cover the first two volumes is because I actually liked the introduction of the human fables versus the uh, introduction of the animal fables, and I I like how each volume has its a main story, but actually I thought that Bill Willingham used the main story as a way of 
introducing a select bunch of characters in each one like so mm-hmm. there'll be like main characters within each volume uh, but also to use it as a chance to kind of give a whistle stop tour to show us how many people from the homelands came across um and even the people that he did show us is still vastly more like as the story goes as you'll discover um i just wanted to gauge both your opinions on what you thought the intro- how that introduction worked in like a modern setting so for me i loved the set of new york i love new york city i've been there a couple of times going back next year looking forward to that and i just think new york is a great place because again New York is probably one of the most famous cities in the world. You know, we know, you know, like London, Sydney, you know, these are cities that we see a lot on TV. I I thought that he also used the setting really well. Like, so his characters are familiar with, but also he went with a really familiar setting. So I quite liked that as well. Um, I thought, I thought, to be honest, he he did really well with the introduction, in my opinion. But um, what do you guys think, um, Jennifer? Yeah, especially using um, and that like juxtaposition of um, New York is this big city. And even though it's this big city, there's a lot going on. It's known. I've never been to New York City, but, um, you know, just being familiar with it and knowing it's the city that never sleeps. But then thinking about having this hidden underground mm-hmm. um old fables story like they're they're still living there somewhere so it really felt magical in that like big modern city um if i do remember correctly like i said it's been over 15 years since i've read the the following volumes um but from what i remember they do end up going back into the old kingdom is that correct so they do end up going back and i know that there's um kind of like a um I, I won't get into it, but they do go back. So I do think that setting them up not in that world was a really good idea. So then once we do get into that, it feels even more magical. I mean, there's a reason why they're bringing you to there. Um, but I do like that it shows us in New York City and then Animal Farm. So they're not actually in the land or the kingdom where they're originally from. And we'll mm-hmm. eventually get there. Yeah, I think later on they... So the, the first two volumes, I think, are great introduction volumes. And then as we go on, actually, it's probably talk about the mythology a bit here. But as we go on, the mythology builds. And not every story is kind of New York or the farm base. Some of it's flashbacks. Some of it's just single story, like single um, single character stories, like um, uh, Boy Blue, for instance, and... Um, uh, Flycatcher as well. Like they, they, although they're very minor in volume one and two, uh, you see actually much bigger stories for them later on. So that's what I was saying about how he kind of is so little seeds now, but they get much bigger stories later on. And um, so there's kind of, you know, we get to see tiny bits of the mythology in the first two volumes. But I think the the first two volumes work really well as like a, a good introduction to the world that we're in. Um, so yeah, what, Jasmine, what do you think about sort of the introduction as well, using the current scene? I loved it. I, I loved it. They didn't have to waste any time with it. It was kind of like you walk in and it's like, oh, Snow White's the administrator and Big B Wolf is the sheriff and Little Boy Blue is like the assistant. Like, all right, got it. I know who these people are. I recognize these names. I'm ready to run with it. Uh, so, But I, I did like how they introduce the familiar characters and they bring their drama with them. Like the, your first introduction to Beauty mm-hmm. and the Beast. Like I just, that, that introduction was hilarious to me. That one and Pinocchio, <laughs> those are probably just the two best intros that we got in the first volume. Uh, do you know what you talk about funny things? So I started laughing out loud when um, Snow White got to the farm. And I, I can't remember the character, but the chicken like starts flying off, going, oh, fed, yeah. it's the feds. Like, and I, was, <laughs> I actually burst out laughing. I was like, I just never in my life thought I'd ever read a chicken going on about the feds are here. Like, it was so, Chicken like, Little, like Chicken, chicken Little. little that's it, yeah, chicken, like yeah, Chicken, chicken little, little panics yeah. about everything. Uh, and uh, I was just like, I actually burst out laughing. I was like, oh, chicken going on about the feds. I was like, never in my life that I ever thought I'd read that. That was good. That was good to me. So, um I touched on this a minute ago about the mythology. Um, so I, I think the build did a really good job in this first two volumes of um, just concentrating on characters and small stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wondered if, so I know Jennifer's obviously gone ahead a little bit like me. So actually it's kind of curious more for Jasmine here. Like, did you get curious by any of the mythology? Like, so obviously they do tease about the homelands and the adversary um, and they kind of, 
they kind of like give you little teasers and Easter eggs, mm-hmm. but what, what, Jasmine, what are your thoughts on the mythology that we see? I thought it was interesting the way that they kind of introduced the adversary and the homelands and the big battle. I thought it got really, really interesting when they're going through the speech at Remembrance Day. And it gets really kind of heavy for a minute because, and I actually wrote this down, um, but it, it said it took an invasion to unite us. Like we, they were originally so many different realms within this big kingdom, but like not everybody knew everybody else. Um, and so as the mayor, you know, old King Cole, as he goes through the sacred speech or sacred text or whatever it was that the beast called it, um, it, it kind of gets to one line that really jumped out at me. And it was like, but we didn't help. Like we could see what was happening in the other kingdoms, but we didn't help. And it's the line is by the time we realized that he wasn't, he being the adversary, he wasn't merely interested in conquering that land or those people that he was coming after all of us. It was too late and he had grown too powerful. And I thought that that theme is so prevalent. And that's another reason why I feel like this story fits even like in modern times, like right now, 2021, because that is the age old story. Right. And, and you get more reference to that in the second volume when Goldilocks is like, none of us are free until all of us are free. Um, and so I just thought it was really, it was really nice that, yeah, we're getting a story about fairy tale characters, but at the same time, there is some substance here. Like you have this big issue and the only way to fight this issue is for everybody to come together. But by the time everybody came together, it was too late. And now this is what you have left. Um, so it's kind of like working within, you know, you, you go to war with the soldiers you have, right? Like you, you have to be able to keep your society going. But if you had reacted sooner, if you had jumped in sooner, if you had done, you know, taken the steps to kind of realize that we're all in this together, which is probably like the overall theme of this whole thing. It's, you know, they're, they're all, we're all the same, right? It doesn't matter if you're in animal form or in human form, we're all the same. Um, so I thought that they laid the groundwork of that message really well by giving you some of the backstory. Cause you, for a few panels at, at the very least, you do get to see some of like the adversaries minions and they kind of all look like demons or, you know, like centaurs, they look like half, animal half beast kind of creatures that are ravaging the kingdom lands so it's interesting and it definitely made me want to know who the adversary is why he decided to take over and why he didn't come to earth so I'll tell you what you won't you won't see who the adversary is at all <laughs> like, you won't you won't see it coming i thought it was great when they reveal it so oh, yes. um what, what do you think about the mythology jennifer the one of the highest, um, like if I had to say someone who takes um, like classic mythology or anything like that and puts either like a modern spin on it or um, the person that I think of the most is going to be Neil Gaiman. And Neil Gaiman um, is probably hands down my favorite comic book um, author. And rereading this, I got so many um flashbacks to reading Sandman, which I was reading around the same time. Um, and just the way that those classic characters get reimagined. And of course, in Sandman, it's these um, characters that are, you know, you've got dream and you've got death and you've got destruction and desire and delirium. Like you've got um, the endless there in Sandman, which are maybe more obscure or maybe just ideas mm-hmm. where these are a little bit more characters that like we have very particular stories that are being told. Um, so whenever I think of um, like the mythology and like those um, worlds being built from worlds that have already been built, I think of Neil Gaiman and I think of Sandman specifically. Um, so seeing this and seeing those characters that are a little bit less mythological, but being turned into a world and with this particular mythology, um, it was really, really I really enjoyed it and um, it does make me want to go back and read more into it. Um, Mm. uh, Like go read the third, fourth again, and then try to find um, all the other ones. Maybe I'll try to hit up Michael. Yeah. Michael, see what he got. You got got the third, fourth volume, man. I'll trade you. Um, 
Oh, what, oh, it'd be hilarious if Michael actually sees yeah. sees sees all consciousness or whatever. Like, it'd be That's like, yeah, look, 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 have the rest. I've got, I've got seven to eight now. My mum got rid of the first six years ago, yeah. so you can have the rest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just before we jump on to talk about the art, obviously, which is massively important, I would just love to pick your brains on the murder of Rose Red. Like, did you guys have any suspects? Because obviously, everybody loves a good murder mystery. Did like, did you like, obviously? It doesn't go the way we thought it was going to go, um, which was a good twist. But did you suspect that anybody had potentially killed her before we got the reveal we did? Um, but That's the okay. person that I honestly thought was being set up for the murder was 100%. And this is me. Like, I have already read this, but I had forgotten on the reread. Um, so that was kind of nice to be, like, still surprised again. But I thought it was going to be Prince Charming. Um, I knew... <laughs> Um, like I knew it wasn't how I, it was going to be shaped up to be, but I, I thought it was going to be Prince Charming for sure. <laughs> I, I never thought she was dead. Like my, my whole theory, oh, as with everything, if there's no body, like, mm, are they really dead? So yeah. because there was no body in that apartment, I was like, she's not dead. Uh, but I, and I think that they kind of cover the same storyline in, in the video game. Uh, but I couldn't remember the end of the video game, whether or not the girl actually died or not. Um, so I knew she wasn't dead, but I really had no idea like who done it. When I think yeah. it probably tripped me up when they interview when they introduced Bluebeard, I was like, oh yeah, it's totally him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I love that who done it. Like, um, yeah. no, I. I couldn't, I, I did remember, unfortunately, I did remember the twist, so I was, but when I first read it, I'll be honest with you, I was thrown off by a lot of, like, there was a lot of misdirection, which was very clever, um, so I couldn't hardly put my finger on it, so I was leaning more heavily towards Bluebeard, but then I was like, but is that just too obvious? Um, so I, I struggled to pick a, a killer, but I didn't suspect in the first time, I do remember the first time I read it, I didn't suspect um, that she was necessarily alive in the way that got shown, like i.e. she was involved in faking her death. I knew there was a bigger mystery. And I, I remember in the first issue seeing the padlock on the fridge and seeing him um, Bigby notice it, which and that was the thing that made me think, okay, there's something, some, there's some sort of twist, but I just can't think that, it, you know, I just didn't at any point think, okay, this is, um, uh, this is that she's faked her death or anything, anything clever like that. So, um, <laughs> I was gonna say, let's, I was gonna say, let's jump on to, um, I think, sort of talking about the artwork itself. And, um, the first thing for me is just the covers of the issues. Now, I don't know if you guys, um, I know you guys read it digitally, and well, you uh, sorry, Jasmine, you read it digitally and you read the collected editions, Jennifer. I don't, does it in the collected edition show the covers as well? It does. So each one, um, this one's, I believe, issue two. So it does, it does yeah. show them here, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I, I absolutely love these sort of um, painted covers. This is like, the, like I was sort of showed this earlier, the first issue. Um, this um, here it is. This is the second issue, like you said, uh, Jennifer. That's the second cover. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to go through each one, but look, this third issue, I think, is is brilliant. Like these, these covers are just so glorious. Like honestly, like, I love these covers. They're just, they're so fantastic and they're very much of the kind of indie world that you would expect, like for me. Um, what, did, did you see the covers? You've probably seen the covers digitally as well, I would have thought. Yeah, they're in there. Um, but I really kind of like the one behind me. I like this kind of style of the covers yeah. where it's it's more... Oh, that's the cover of the first... Yeah, of the yeah. collected issue. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, but I do think that the individual covers are very, like, painting-like. And they probably ring more true toward, like, the Brothers Grimm versions of these characters than the versions that we get here. So I think that that's probably a really nice homage, but I really just, I like the, these kinds of uh, covers where it's like all of these characters and then it's like, what the hell are they doing on a subway train? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess because they're in the normal well, Monday world, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. Right? Um, and then the interiors. So the, the interiors for me, I don't think, not, it's not Jeff Lamar, but uh, it's, it's, I don't guess far off it. Like it's kind of just ordinary to me, but equally it's really fits the, the kind of the story that's been told by Bill Willingham. And I don't mm -hmm. think it's like unnecessary to, I think it'd be unnecessary to have 
I don't know, I guess Chris Batchelow type style art. I think this is very kind of just showing and the art is ordinary, but it's equally detailed and I, I really enjoy reading it, but I don't think it's, uh, it's not over the top. So that's why I think it suits it really well for me. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, and I, I didn't find the artwork distracted from the story either. Like, although I liked looking at it, like, and I didn't think it was ugly. Um, it wasn't amazing to me, but equally it didn't, take away from the story that yeah i actually helpful. preferred all the animals to the humans so yeah. when especially when we get to volume two to see the variety of animals that they have in volume two that was that was really fun to look at versus in the first one it's you know they're mostly people and then colin mm -hmm. occasionally um <laughs> but i i did find that the first volume was extraordinarily wordy like there, there were definitely some parts where it felt like you barely get to see any illustration because the thought bubbles or the word bubbles are taking up so much space on the page. Um, and I, I understand that it's a lot of information that you have to get out. It didn't feel like a slog to read all of it, uh, but it did feel like at some point the, the words did start to take away from the actual illustrations. I want to show you, like, obviously this is on the video. Um, this double page here mm -hmm. of issue six when they get to the farm that's probably my favorite double uh sort of splash page just oh, yeah. showing uh what because obviously in the first volume it's mainly set in new york and yes okay we got to see um some castles hidden away in <laughs> like small rooms and stuff like that um but I love the fact that actually this really played into the fantasy world that we're mm -hmm. getting into, like with castles and the, the and the shoe, uh, the shoe, the shoe. Yeah, honestly. So I, I I enjoyed the art. What do you think, Jennifer, of the artwork? Yeah, I agree. Um, especially if you compare what the cover looks like to the interior art, there is a pretty big difference. Yeah. I did like that there's a couple of pages um, that do some really incredible detail work. Um, so. Like if there's flashbacks that are done or if they're telling a story, they're using like frames that have a really cool looking, yeah. um, uh, I don't know what you would call, or there's just a, an ornateness to it. Mm -hmm. I guess here's another splash page here too, but just some of that that gets shown along the edges. And um, it particularly happens whenever um, in the first volume, whenever the, um, clues are being hinted at. Um, some of that is used to frame the panels, which I really appreciated, but um, that didn't take away from the artwork. But I agree, Jasmine, there's a lot of panels in here mm -hmm. where there is, it's just so dialogue heavy yes. that it does, it pushes some of the other stuff. And um, do I think that there could have been some things that were cut out or could that have just, you know, if there was, more strong if there were stronger editorial ship i don't know if that's the word that i'm looking for here um i'm checking and seeing who the editor is if it's not um karen berger burger i can't see here but um i do think that some of the words and the dialogue could have been taken away and the mm -hmm. story just still would have been incredibly um still incredibly packed yeah, because I think that uh, Bigby is really wordy sort of it, it throughout the first volume, especially before, right, like issue five leading up to him or issue four leading up to him before the big reveal. Um, yeah, I, I think it just, it, it, I understand you're trying to show some personality and, you know, I appreciate getting to see more of his personality, but at the same time, it's like, the, but it, it was it was about a 10 page run all right there together where it was just like, every time you flip the page, it was just, so so many bubbles and it's like oh but it's a comic oh. like you know you kind of want to see more of you telling me the story through the images as well yep show uh -oh. me the story don't necessarily tell me the right. story right yeah uh, uh jennifer it's uh, the editor i don't know her but she shelly bond is the editor oh shelly bond okay yeah. um i actually uh. really appreciate shelly bond's work um they do a lot of really cool anthologies um yeah I guess so. This is where it's creator owned, isn't it? So it's obviously, even if an editor wants to probably necessarily make changes, whether it being creator owned, they probably would have an overall say. Um, I, I would imagine. I would imagine that the editor and them work closely together, but where it's creator owned, the creator probably could say, well, no, this is 
this stays like yeah. so <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's yeah. not a Mar- it's not a marvel superhero uh spider-man book where editors are like no 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 <laughs> like, yeah. they uh, did they dictate the story as opposed to the story the like yeah mm-hmm. so i mean that's all like i mean obviously we don't know how those conversations went 20 years ago they probably couldn't even remember if we asked them now so <laughs> yeah. um but no i i I, I, I did enjoy the artwork and I did think, think and I, but those borders that you talk about, they use that a lot throughout the run uh, of comics where they um, sort of highlight pages and stuff like that. And there's certain pages, I think, where you can even see like detail of like mice and things like that from what I can remember in those borders, which I think is pretty cool. So um, I think we'll put a stop to uh, the review, but I think overall, I, I love these first 10 issues, the first two volumes. And I, I want to try and make myself carry on going. Uh, you could do a little at a time. Yeah, I know, I know. I've got to find that time, you know, yeah. even if even if it's just an issue a day or something like that, you know. <laughs> um, but I, I think I've got to try and make myself carry on going. And um, what about, so Jennifer, I think you said the same thing, you're carry on going um, as well. Is there anything you want to add before we finish up? I, you know, the, the thing that I think that I'm going to take away from this um, read is that I might try to suggest this to people more often than I do. I think that when it comes to some of those other Vertigo classics, I have a lot of Vertigo classics that I um, suggest. And this one hasn't been on that list as often as I think it should be. So going to try to do that more. Brilliant. What about you, Jasmine? Um, I'm, I'm going to try to keep going. So I uh, picked these up digitally. They were available as part of Comixology Unlimited, the first couple of volumes. Um, but like some of the other volumes are like $5 for, you know, volume four, or $5 for volume five. So I might, I might go ahead and spend a few bucks here and there to keep going. Cause now you got me really interested in who the adversary is. Like, <laughs> bet it's Prince uh, Charming. <laughs> it's not just like who the adversary is. It's like, why does he, why yeah. does he become the adversary? Okay. Right. Okay. All right. Um, so, uh, I mean, you might be able to see if Michael's got some more copies laying around. Yeah, I'm going right, to hit up so. Michael. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay. Well, thank you, Jennifer, for joining us. I was going to say before we wrap up is um, anything, you. anything coming up? So this, this episode, obviously we're recording and we'll drop uh, later in the week. Um, is there anything coming up at all uh, throughout November that, that you want to highlight to people? Um, yeah, so um, like I said earlier on my channel every Sunday, my co-host and I, Mars, go live and we um, talk about all the books that we've been reading that week, some stuff that we've picked up. I also do a another graphic novel book club where um, like we, we do read a lot of things like this. We just read um, Witches by um, Snyder and Jock, so we just read that. Um, I think that we're going to be doing a saga reread coming up soon. Um, and so I do that over on Comic Chop News. That's the YouTube channel. Um, awesome. Um, Dan and I co- at Comic Chop News. Um, we've also been doing a Dune book club. Um, I'm a huge fan of Dune. And so we read the first um, first book a um, couple chapters at a time. We just finished the second book in time for the movie. We've reviewed the movie. And now we're about to hit um, the third book, Children of Dune. So we'll do that also on Comic Chop News. Awesome. Oh, and I do an... Oh, Oh, I just do another show on Fridays um, with uh, called Comic Talk, Comic Talk Live with a couple friends, um, usually over on Wildebeest Fitness Channel. Yeah. Awesome. I was going to say, I didn't know you did the the book club on Comic Talk News, so I'm going to check that out. I am interested to know more about June. I'm debating how far to go with it. So, uh. <laughs> so I could literally talk your ears off for hours about Dune. Um, I've seen it probably 15 to 20 times, if not more, um, between the theater and HBO Max. I love this new movie. Um, Dune is a personal favorite of mine. So uh, really excited to deep dive into that. Did you watch all the originals and the TV series and all that as well? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I've got a couple Dune tattoos as well. <laughs> oh, man. oh, you are a huge, huge yeah. Dune fan. Very right. huge Dune fan, for right. sure. So, um, and where, where can people find you online? Yeah, um, it's a little bit confusing, but on YouTube, it is Comics Will Break Your Heart. On Instagram, it's Comic Books Will Break Your Heart. Um, on Twitter, um, I used to go by Gin and Comic Show. Um, so, like, Gin and Tonic, but Gin and Comic, but I... <laughs> 
don't you don't use that anymore kind of like rebranded um so you can still find me at gin and comic show on twitter um and michael seriously if this is your book hit me up like michael very specifically <laughs> come find me man <laughs> um and, yeah. Well, yeah, just thank you, really. Like, for yeah, this, this, definitely. This thank awesome. you so much. Thank uh, one, you. one other quick question we always ask is, uh, like, what's your comic origin story? How did how did you get into, like, comics and pop culture in general? Yeah, um, it started when I was in high school. And I, well, actually, it was late middle school. I had read um, Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman. And um, there was another book that I had read Um then went into American God. So I was just reading a lot of that, a lot of fantasy at the time. And then um, found out that he wrote comic books, um, read Stardust, and um, then uh, got into the Sandman. And I think that was really it from there. Um, most of my origin was picking up trades or borrowing trades from friends. Um, so a lot of the early stuff that I read, read was stuff like Fables, Sandman, um, uh, Watchmen. A lot of those Vertigo titles were the ones that I got into more, but now I just read um, 20 to 30 single issues a week, and I try to read Goodness. at least three to four trades a week, so it's <laughs> it's a lot of heavy reading. Um, I also, right now, work from home, so I think that that gives back time into my day where I can do those types of things. So. That's awesome. Amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> 30, to, 30 a week. There was a point a long time ago where I was the same, but I couldn't do it yeah. now. So I probably I probably read about twenty to thirty a month now, like not um, anything like that. But anyway, that's what we're we'll doing next month. All right. So for our next book club, we are returning to the world of Scott Pilgrim. We are going to be tackling volume two in our next book club. Yeah, and uh, we will also bring our co our, our guest host that we had last for the last one. So, uh, Robbie will be returning from uh, pop culture philosophers for that. So, Round, rounding out twenty twenty one. Yeah, uh, we thought it'd be a nice way to end the year. So, yeah. Um, anyway, you can follow us online. We're geeks and niche everywhere: Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And um, yeah, that's it. And you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Podbean, Apple, Spotify, we are everywhere. So please give us a five-star review and tell your geeky friends. Uh, thank you for watching and listening. Have a good day. Good journey. Oh, good journey. Keep going. <laughs>